Welcome back, guys. Snarf Tech Podcast, Episode 7. One of your hosts, Ben Weezy. And that Yo. is Tech Dre. What's up, Tech Dre? What's good? What's good in the neighborhood? Guys, we have a lot of stuff to talk about on this episode of the pod. We got uh, social media rankings. We got AI talk. We got Elon Musk. We got AMC and Zoom. We got Wordle. We got a little bit of everything. Wi-Fi 7. A lot of stuff to talk about in tech this week, Tech Dre. Let's pop it off with a unusual conversation because I, I told you how there was a there was a there was a uh, back and forth conversation on Twitter this last week between Marcus Brownlee. Uh, people know him on YouTube. He's a big tech guy. He goes by MKBHD on Twitter, and him and Elon Musk are kind of like buddies on Twitter. You know, he's been on Elon Musk has been on his YouTube ch- uh, channel. Uh, they kind of have open dialogue back and forth. And he put out this this hot take on Twitter uh, back in the last week. This is back on the 31st of October. He said, hot take, YouTube is still the only S-tier social media platform. Now, if you're asking yourself, Tech Dre, what does S-tier mean? Well, basically, S-tier is a top of the ranking system, which implies it's the best of the best. If Brownlee is calling it S-tier, he means that he views it better than any other social media like Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and Snapchat. Uh, and that mm-hmm. S rank is unknown. Why the exact meaning is unknown, it's uh, it's another word that stands for special, super, or the Japanese word of exemplary. So that's what it means, amazing. Like So that's the best of the best. What do you think about this comment of him telling Elon Musk that? And then Elon Musk came back and told him, Tech Dre, for now, it's the only S tier platform. So implying that he thinks he can get Twitter to that same uh, status. What do you think about that? Uh, well, to be honest with you, I I could see where he says that because it's a platform that continues to grow. It's not slowing down. Um, you never really hear a bunch of controversy about YouTube. You may hear controversy about Facebook. You may hear controversy about Twitter because of Elon Musk. Um, you may hear a little bit of controversy about Instagram. Usually don't, but you hear controversy about TikTok because it's a Chinese-owned company. But you never really ever hear controversy about YouTube, and if you do, it's squashed and really fast. Well, it's usually on. more about what they're paying their uh, what what they're paying the YouTubers on there, the people on the platform, or something that, to do with there that. There was a time when there was problems with uh, content that needed to be mediated. And I think they've uh, done a better job in recent years to stay on top of that stuff. But yeah, I can, I can, I can definitely see that because the thing with YouTube is it doesn't matter what you're looking for. There's probably a video on it. There's movies on there. There's shows on there. Um, there is podcasts on there. There are videos that kids love to watch of stupid retarded characters like blippy or other kids <laughs> opening up toys and yeah right. showing them off if you need to know how to do something on a car or around the house somebody's got a tutorial video for practically anything yep. to the point that there are some there are some companies that put tutorial videos for their products on youtube they'll refer you to youtube so yeah i, I can see why marcus brownlee would say that for sure yeah, and, and it's interesting because in the day and age where Facebook and Twitter are really taking a hit right now, I mean, virtually we're laying off people, 
for doing things that's unpopular, like the blue check mark thing recently with Twitter and with Facebook with the metaverse and how that's not really catching on with employees and how uh, these these huge layoffs coming right now. But I think more than anything, Tech Dre is the toxicity on those type of platforms. YouTube doesn't seem to have a problem with the toxicity in the comments that we see on Twitter and Facebook and other places like that, uh, or even, even Instagram for that matter. So I can see why. I just think that YouTube is better moderated than other social media platforms. I, and honestly, before he said this, Tech Dre, I had to think about I didn't even think of YouTube as a social media platform. But the fact that they do have chats, they do have comments, people can respond to each other. There are like these... Uh, basically threads of comments and people can respond to it. And I mean, like you it. think like, about the threads of comments, media. the threads of comments reminds you of what Reddit, which is a, what social it's a social media platform. Yep. Yeah. So, and I, and Reddit's definitely don't toward the bottom for me too. Um, it, there was a time when MySpace was the best game in town. Tech Dre wasn't that long ago. What? 10, 12 years ago that MySpace was, or maybe was it 14, 15 years ago? when MySpace was the biggest game in town and there wasn't no Facebook or Twitter around, you know? So yeah. it's interesting. Um, I know Elon Musk has made comments recently about putting Twitter behind a complete firewall. He's been reversing and doing things back and forth. I Again, like I said last podcast, I think he's just trying to do anything that sticks. But I think the fact that he thinks that they can compete with YouTube, I don't see it. Unless they somehow integrate Vine into Twitter. What was that one streaming service they had with uh, so, Twitter that never took off? That never really blew up. It was. Them? It was Vine. Vine was basically no, 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 not, TikTok not Vine. TikTok. They had a live streaming one that was connected. What was it called? Periscope or something like that. Yeah, you Periscope. hear nothing That's about Periscope no more. It's completely vapor. I mean, nobody even talks about it anymore. So, I don't know. I I I think that what he's trying to do. I guess if he can integrate Periscope and bring. The Vine back. I mean, I guess if he does that, maybe you could mention S tier if he can, you know, deal with some of the moderation of the platform. But right now, I have to kind of agree with MKBHD on this. I, I think that maybe YouTube only deserves to be the only S tier social media platform for now. Um, but that could change. I just thought it was interesting, something to bring up uh, on the podcast and talk about. Now, uh, Tech Dre, you you posted a, a article about two ARs who are in an infinite conversation. Tell AI. us about this and why this is so interesting, because of where we're going, to, you know, where AI is headed in the future with this type of interaction. So basically, um, you had a, a a programmer who decided to come out with a website called the Infinite Conversation, and basically, it's an AI powered chat. Uh, there's artificial conversations, which is uh, an artificial version of German director Werner Herzog and Slovenian philosopher Slavik Zizek, I guess is how you pronounce his name. And it has realistic voices that sound like them. Well, anyways, oh, wow. you've basically got these two AIs that are in an infinite conversation, meaning they're talking to each other. Uh, what they're saying is AI generated simulating the voices of the people it's supposed to be and they go back and forth and it's it's never ending it's never stopped if you go to the website you can actually play some of the audio and see some of the dialogue um but it's been going on practically just endless and it's just to show you um how far they've come with ai you create these ai 
um, basically conversation generators and they hold conversations and they're kind of based on the thoughts and viewpoints of the people that are, they're supposed to be like. It's just amazing. We we talked about AI you know on the who, last uh, episode. You know who Werner Herzog is, right? Yeah. I, I just mentioned who he was. No, no. I'm just saying he was on the first season of The Mandalorian. He was yeah. the old guy who said, give me the baby. The old guy. Yeah, with the, the, the German director. That's him. He was in that's the what I just said. I just said who he well, was. I didn't yes. know if you I didn't know if you realized that he had been on the Mando and you know, yeah, because yeah. I don't think he does a lot of acting roles, but I remember but anyways, it's just kind of funny. So. You've got you got these two AIs mimicking real people, and they're in this literal, literal infinite conversation that never ends. He should have done like his voice in Baby Yoda. That that I would love to hear a back and forth conversation. I mean, Grogu doesn't really talk that much. So I, I mean, I, I guess somebody it. somebody could probably do it. Yeah. Well, he's saying the creator's position. This site is a social commentary tech Dre on audio deep fakes. You know how they can basically fake anybody's voice in real life, and how these upcoming technologies may undermine trust in media in the near future. Because if they can do this with their voices. Who knows who they could do deep fakes on Tech Dre, and we're hearing well, a conversation that is real. He imagine. said he's trying to raise awareness about the ease of using this for synthesizing a real voice. Well, well that's yeah, the point. Ahead. Imagine, imagine if we were to record a podcast and we literally AI deep faked a lot of real like movie stars or artists. And it sounded just like them. And we're asking questions and they're answering it. But it's really not that person. But you can't even tell the difference. Like we get Tom Cruise on here and ask him about Mission Impossible or something. And he's whatever, <laughs> whatever you can think up. Obviously, you pretty I'm much can do it yeah. with the right software. If you have the processing power and the software to, to, to take advantage of it. It is pretty interesting. It, it kind of makes you wonder. Where this is headed, because remember we lo- we talked about in the last episode. I think Jedi brought it up about how they basically the same thing with James Earl Jones on Obi Wan. They basically uh, used AI to do a deep fake of his voice to AI generate his voice. I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, well, another, if you think about it, <clears throat> if you want Darth Vader to live on after James Earl Jones, it's not living because he's pretty old. Yeah, they had to figure out something to keep doing the Vader voice going forward in new shows and new episodes and movies. Eventually, he wasn't going to be able to keep doing it. Yeah, absolutely. Now, this was cool, Tech Dre. I found something else related to AI. Uh, AI drew this comic book series, uh, but you would never know it just by looking at the actual graphics on this. The artwork you would see would swear this was somebody with the ink and uh and a canvas who drew this or, or painted this basically uh but it's on this uh these are the images from the bestiary chronicles which is a free three-part comic series from campfire entertainment and an award-winning new york-based production house focused on creative storytelling i don't <coughs> really know what this is about uh but the imagings uh are pretty interesting um because you see all these different characters with like basically uh, these characters with monitors for heads. And uh, it's pretty interesting the way it had to look, but they said it was AI assisted art and the visuals are just something out of something crazy. Uh, and it even talked about how they were able to do these absurd, basically photorealistic humans 
and they can rearrange facial features and limbs protruding at odd angles. The monsters with glowing eyes and bad teeth, they could do all these things that on the fly that just, you know, it's crazy. And they use a, a program called Midjourney, which is a service that quickly turns short text phrases or prompts into images scanning a giant database uh, trained on visual art by humans. The artificial intelligence like DALI and Stable Diffusion are capturing that imagination, but there's so many different ones coming out right, Tech Trey. But I thought this was cool because the whole book's art was AI generated. So it's it's interesting. Is it are we gonna get a lot of media in the next 10, 15 years? Is AI generated? Are we gonna be are we gonna be able to even tell what's AI generated tech dre and what's not? I mean, honestly, it it may blur I mean, the lines think between about it, what's they, real and what's not. They're using AI to restore pictures. Pictures right. where a lot of the image or color of the image is damaged and you have to guess what what was in the rest of the image, and they're using AI to fill those places to put color to a black and white image. It's it's pretty amazing what they're doing with AI. Yeah, it's pretty crazy because I mean, it says that we already talked about how they're doing visual art, they're composing songs, which we talked about last week. They're even writing poetry in movie scripts with AI. So it's really interesting to see where this technology is going. And uh, I'm really curious to see what they can do and how far they'll, they'll go with this because uh, uh, it, the question it is sounds become cool at some on paper, point, but yeah. The question is going to become at some point, if you plug in some data points and you create artwork or you create um, a comic or a children's book and then you copyright it to sell it, how does that all pan out? Is it going to be considered your written um, copyrighted material because it was AI generated? Is it not? You know, there's a lot of weird what ifs uh, with all this technology. Yeah, it's it's interesting. It's it's a it's a ethical concern that uh, who knows you know how far we'll go. Uh, before it all ends but it's just it's interesting i think ai is very interesting but uh who knows I how mean, far it's going to go or how far it's going to take i mean pretty soon technology. kids are going to be using ai to write papers for school i i would not be surprised that some people are already doing that if they're already because <laughs> if they can write poetry and they can write movie scripts why couldn't they write a thesis on toothpaste you know what i'm saying like why couldn't it do those things if it's already got the capability to do much more elaborate processes than than a school paper or a thesis paper for college. I just think that, uh, but I, I guess I would wonder would it would it have to plagiarize other material on the, on the World Wide Web or where would it pull the information from? How much of that would blur the lines between something completely original and a hodgepodge of you know <laughs> years and years of information on the web or you know what it has available to it? It'd be interesting to see yep, what it can no do. Doubt. Um, well, AMC is turning movie theaters, uh, Tech Dre, into these huge Zoom rooms for big screen video conferencing. And yes, you would be able to get your popcorn and soda during these uh, all hands-on events. You may be even able to catch a movie afterwards. What do you think about this, Tech Dre? Because Zoom, since the pandemic, has become a cultural zeitgeist, right? We, everybody knows what Zoom is now. Everybody's used it for school or for uh, their, you know... Christian activity or anything like that. They've used it for different things for, for job interviews, for work meetings remotely. 
um, even school. So what do you think about now they're doing these, you know, I think it's a good way of AMC to try to make some extra money right now with movies, you know, not being what they were before the pandemic. Well, what do you think about this? You know, uh, (laughs) on one hand, it's kind of cool, but on the other hand, it's kind of, you're wondering how practical it is and I'll explain to you how. Okay. So typically with Zoom, um, it's practical. It's practical because people are fragmented. You got three people here, one person there, somebody's in the office, somebody's at home, somebody's out of town. Um, People are spread out. So it's easy to hop on a Zoom call or meeting and gather together. But in order to do these Zoom meetings in a theater, you're asking, it says you could get rooms for 75 to 150 people. So that means you're going to have a large group of people meeting at the theater to do a Zoom meeting to connect to who? To connect to one person or another theater room with another 75 to 150 people. I just... I question, um, is this just something to break up the monotony? Because it says in here that you'll be able to get popcorn and soda and maybe even catch a movie afterwards. Is is this something to say, hey, this Friday, uh, instead of, you know, everybody working from home, let's let's meet at the theater. We're going to do a big Zoom meeting and then we're going to have some fun afterwards and get some popcorn and soda and catch a movie. Well, I tell you what, it is a way to make a a work meeting more fun. If you have something like that, okay, after we get done with this work, Zoom, you know, video conference, then we can go watch a a brand new movie and have back. It still comes back to my biggest question. Okay. If you're meeting, if you have to meet on Zoom or Teams or whatever service you're using for video conferencing, if you have to meet, you're typically fragmented. You don't have large numbers of people in one spot. So doesn't it kind of defeat the purpose of Zoom if you're going to put 75 to 150 people in one room? I don't know. I don't know unless, if this is something going to work. Unless, unless this is I something think, for major companies doing a big yeah. rollout of something. I, I tell you what they're trying to. spaced out across the country. and they're gonna I tell do. you what I think they're trying to do. I think what they're trying to do is normalize people rubbing elbows with their coworkers and being around each other because during the pandemic, they've had a lot of work from home, a lot of work remote. To me, it's almost a way of getting people more comfortable of working close together, right? It's like taking down the veil of Zoom because Zoom, you feel disconnected from your coworkers or for whoever you're on Zoom with. If they have you all together and you do it and you say, oh, well, you know, I guess it's not so bad being around Bob and accounting or whatever. Then all of a sudden you take that anxiety or the negativity of being remote or away from other people. To me, you're kind of removing that, right? You're pulling back the veil and saying, okay, because then then at that point it's like, oh, I guess I'm ready to come back in the office now if I can do a Zoom room with 75 to 150 people. But I also think the AMC is doing this because they aren't making the money they were making before, so, well, and, and that's what the a, article says. It says they're definitely looking for ways to make money. It says even though they their quarters two earning report revealed that they're doing better than they did in 2020 or 2021, it's still they're still having losses that they didn't have before the pandemic tech race. So I just think this is a gimmicky way to try to get people in the theater for other less practical uses than just watching a movie and making money for it. I mean, well, how, sure. how many times we've seen people rent theaters out to play video games? 
And I think that's even been done more than the pandemic. Well, People get to play Mario Kart on the big screen. So, so where they mentioned where I could see it making making sense is if people were making a trip to a local theater to watch a Comic-Con panel or announcement live stream from their favorite gadget maker. That I can see the practical use for it. Um, Sony's going to have a, a huge state of play. And we went to a state of play one time at a movie theater. If you remember that years ago, uh, if it's live and it's basically... Like, say, for instance, a Comic-Con panel, and you go to your theater, and you can watch this live Comic-Con panel, but it's interactive, meaning you can actually ask the people on the panel that are across the country questions from your local movie theater. Now, that I could see the practicality of, but for most office-use business case scenarios, I don't see it being practical. Okay. All right. Well, a game that I think we both kind of picked up during the pandemic tech, right? And I kind of fell off recently with Wordle, but I know you were a big Wordle fan. I don't know if you're still playing it on the daily, um, which is a pretty cool game. It kind of blew up over the pandemic. I know New York Times purchased it because uh, they saw an avenue to kind of increase uh, traffic to their website and their, their branding or whatever. Uh, but now Wordle has picked an editor in charge of picking the next answer. And it says Tracy Bennett will be the official games editor and basically uh it, it looks like they're doing this to maybe make it more difficult or maybe in some ways to it says they're making adjustments to ensure the game stays focused on vocabulary that's fun accessible lively and varied so it sounds like they're trying to make it a little more i don't know maybe a little less predictable i guess i don't know so so this but, is what they're saying so they're saying um that basically the the, the words just followed a list before, whereas right. now it'll be curated and they'll have more of an idea of what the next words are going to be. And they're saying that you won't be able to go and find, I guess some people cheat. They go online and go find the answers. If you know where to look, it says, but it also says this, that it may also mean that you could see a different answer than someone else as a result of the change, which oh, I like. Oh, so it might be random then. It might be random because because for right right now, Wordle, everybody has the same. I don't care who you are and where you're at. It's the same word for everybody. And what this is saying is like everybody may not have the same word. And I actually kind of like that. OK, well, and it, and it said that some of the rules are changing, too. Uh, we might finally make it a lot harder. They're saying that uh, newly ruled out possible answers are plurals of three, four-letter words ending in ES or S, respectively. Other plurals are acceptable. However, the answer will never be foxes or spots, but it might be geese or fungi. So I, I know before you couldn't use double letters, I thought. I thought it had to be one letter. You couldn't use like two E's or two S's. It would be like one of those letters, but not plural, you know, plural letters in, in a row like that usually. But um, it's interesting that they're doing this. Um, I, I think that they're trying to make it, like you said, they're, like you said, they're trying to make it, uh, a little more accessible and maybe a little less predictable, uh, for those who are into it. I, I mean, I like it. I need to jump back on it and see, see what all the fuss is about, why it needs the editor. I just thought it was interesting. Um, now another thing here, I will file this under weird and crazy tech, Dre, but McDonald's, the hamburger chain created a grease-proof gaming chair. And the chair comes equipped with a French fry holster, dedicated dip holders, 
a burger heat zone in a grease proof leather. <laughs> I don't know what to say, Tech Dre, but I have I instantly feel fatter for reading this. I don't know who wants this or who asked for this, but this is super weird. They're so, calling it the McCrispy Ultimate Gaming Chair. So let me say this much. <laughs> Says it has a fry holder, a drink holder, two dip holders, a hot box to keep your McCrispy warm while gaming. A built-in napkin holder with two reusable napkins with McCrispy branding, a stain-proof leather treatment so you can enjoy your McCrispy in peace, oh modular God. armrest to allow users to swap their McCrispy for different sides. I'm going to tell you what this seems like to me. A gimmick. This <laughs> it sounds like a gimmick, kind of like when KFC was coming out with the KFC console, kind of like uh, when Burger King used to have the Xbox 360 game Sneak King. It just sounds like a gimmick to get people excited and talk about McDonald's online and make them think about going and buying McDonald's food. Well, and, and I think that's too. I think I said it's just a big promotion, big commercial, basically. And they're, they're saying they're calling it the Great Golden Throne. But this is just part of a prize giveaway tied to the launch of the new McCrispy sandwich, chicken sandwich in the United Kingdom. So I guess this is only in the UK. I guess if you're in the United States, you have to miss out on this beautiful, beautiful chair. And I say that with sarcasm, but um, and and they said the sandwich looks repulsive, but the throne isn't. They're saying the chair is way prettier than the sandwich. I haven't seen the sandwich, so I can't comment it. But it's ergonomic, it's plush. It it is a nice looking chair, except for the yellow and the McDonald's. You take that off, it's not take a bad McDonald's looking game branding chair. off. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I don't know, man. I just. Is this what society's come to? A McDonald's gaming chair? It's kind of like all oh, what's wrong. With society right now, I don't know. So, I, mean, I just so I feel if you weird look at, about it. Because... So if you look at McDonald's posting on Twitter of this chair, and you look at all the comments, um, they're showing like basically <clears throat> obese people sitting in chairs drinking sodas and fries and basically yeah, gaming. It's kind of um, there was another post that was pretty funny. Somebody showed a gaming chair where the seat was a toilet. And they said, this is the chair that Taco Bell is going to come out with, <laughs> which is pretty yeah. funny. So a lot of the comments on that chair was actually pretty funny. Yeah. So, I, I mean, there's enough humor in that alone to go check it out. But, yeah, I, I you know, it's definitely a gimmick. It's it's a way to build hype. And we see a lot of fast food uh, companies doing this on Twitter and social media, doing things just to build hype. Just to get people talking yeah, didn't about didn't KFC, them. like you said, didn't they claim to have their own gaming system? And yes. it wasn't even something that wasn't even a real thing. It was kind of like just, I thought it was just like something they made one of, like a, it was like a gimmick thing. And never, I mean, they obviously never mass produced it for the, for the masses, but I think it was just like something to get gamers excited about KFC, which was weird in itself. But I don't even know if it was ever legitimately a real console. <clears throat> I thought it was just maybe a PC they made to look like a console. A gaming PC, I thought it was going to be like a little, uh, like a gaming PC that looked like a deep fryer or an air fryer or something, but I don't know. It, <laughs> who knows? So, Wi-Fi 7 capable phones are coming by the end of 2022, Tech Dre, and it's going to be powered by a MediaTek chip. Uh, and Wi-Fi standard, Wi-Fi 7 standard hasn't even been established yet, uh, which if you don't know what that is, that's 7th generation Wi-Fi. Uh, it says routing devices are just rolling out now, Tech Dre, for Wi-Fi 6 and Wi-Fi 6E compatibility. But the first phones support that generation of wireless technology 
will be released soon and they'll sport that MediaTek uh, chipset. Uh, and this chip promises several advances over its predecessor, the Dimensity uh, 9000, like a 10,000% faster multi-core speed, uh, which was uh, score speed scored on Geekbench 5.0 is 32% better GPU performance and an interior redesign leading to 25% less power consumed. So it's more efficient too, right? <clears throat> but the biggest thing they said it will let phones do is connect to routers and hotspots using Wi-Fi 7, which is a name that hasn't even been officially established by the Wi-Fi Alliance. I didn't even know they even existed. Uh, though at this writing, they've been on the wall for the name of the upcoming 802.11BE standard. So yeah, this says, yeah, so MediaTek is kind of getting ahead of all the competitors, Tech Trey. They're the first phones to use this new chipset, which will launch before the end of 2022. Uh, and it, this puts the company ahead of Qualcomm and Snapdragon chips to come out with these brands that release uh, here in the West in the United States. Uh, what's interesting, one thing I thought was was interesting about this, Tech Trey, <clears throat> is they're saying it's expected to deliver download speeds of up to 30 gigabytes per second which is four, far faster than the 4.8 gigabytes per second of Wi-Fi 6E that will eventually succeed, supersede. So, so that's pretty interesting it could do that, right? I mean, that's that's pretty amazing, Tech Ray. Yeah, I don't I don't know of any download speeds that do gigabytes. Gigabits, yes, not gigabytes, but um, 30 gigabits per second is off the chart. Um, there is no home internet service out there. I think uh, AT&T is now offering five, maybe 10 gigabits per second with fiber. Um, so there's really nothing out there capable of using this speed. They're basically uh, doing this uh, to just basically say, hey, we, we got a future-proof phone for Wi-Fi. Uh, it'll be year. The phone, you won't even have that phone anymore by the time you have a home network that supports it. But still, they got bragging rights to be the first phone to have it. Um, this chip is supposed to also support ray tracing. Um, and those of you not really familiar with MediaTek, MediaTek has been around for forever, since like the early 90s or something. And they typically, um, their chips are powering mid-tier to low-level devices, smartphones, tablets, um, they've been around forever. So they also have been, uh, basically making chips for wireless communications, uh, televisions, um, navigation systems. I mean, their chips are in pretty much anything and everything. And, um, like I said, they've, they've been around since, uh, trying to find it. They were founded in 1997. So they've been around since the late nineties. They've come a long way, but it sounds like to me that they're trying to push out of that mid to lower tier range of mobile processor. And we'll kind of talk more about that with the next subject we want to talk about. But MediaTek is a name you, you may or may not have heard of, but it looks like you're going to start hearing more about them with them pushing into being more of a top tier processor. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're definitely becoming a player in that in the in mobile processing uh world tech dre um and it looks like wi-fi 6e was revealed in 2020 but it pointed out that consumers really haven't upgraded enough of their devices and computers to really take advantage of it so wi-fi 7 is probably years ahead of its time right i mean like you said the the products will be there 
but would it really be a lot enough people out there to really take advantage of it? Like you said, I think this is, it's future proofing to me, right? If they ever get to where they can really fully utilize, it'll be interesting. So it's something to look out for, but on the subject of media tech, tech Dre media tech announced as an official Sony partner, they will power the PSVR with the custom SOC. Tell us about this tech Dre. Yeah, yeah, SOC system on chip chip created by MediaTek. So they're just they're dabbing in everything. They're doing mobile, they're doing VR. Tell us about this tech drain and why this partnership is a big deal. It's a big deal because um typically um you don't hear media like once again, you don't hear MediaTek uh processes or chips or in this case system on a chip. And for those of you not familiar with an SOC or system on a chip. Everything is on that one die, your GPU, your CPU, your RAM, everything is on that one chip. Um, so typically uh, when it comes to top tier devices, you don't hear the name MediaTek being mentioned, but we know that the PSVR 2 is going to be a top tier VR headset for gaming. And the fact that MediaTek is going to be powering this headset is a big deal. So we're seeing MediaTek not only making moves in mobile processes for phones, we also see them making big moves in the VR game. Because to this point, um, Qualcomm has been the uh, has been the the uh, the big chief as far as uh, making chips for VR headsets. We know Apple is working on their own, but they haven't released it yet. So this is this is a big deal to see MediaTek jumping in this VR game. We know VR is only going to pick up. You know, besides the whole metaverse stuff um we know uh vr gaming has really picked up with pc with the uh the quest uh, vr headsets and we know playstation vr the original one was pretty popular but we know that the psvr2 is poised to sell uh a lot more units and be a lot more of a bigger deal in gaming this time around than it was the first time i would say with the recent collapse of what is it ftx uh, crypto, I might, I might say, take that money out of crypto and go buy some stock in media tech because they're blowing up guys. The next year, everything they're doing with mobile and what they're doing with this, uh, SOC and the PSVR, they're a company to watch tech, Dre. They're a hot company. I've never heard of them up until this point with the Wi-Fi seven thing and this thing for PSVR. Obviously you're more familiar with them, but maybe it's time to buy stock. I'm just saying, maybe you might want to buy some t- stock in these guys. Cause sound like they might be hot. Um, we did talk about Wordle Tech, Dre. I do want to pivot. I mean, we're not a gaming podcast, but we're going to talk about some gaming stuff. We did talk about Wordle because we do play it both like the game. It's a fun game. Uh, I just want to talk about the fact, Tech Dre, that Facebook has a metaverse, Marvel has the multiverse, and now Flick, now Netflix has the trivia verse. So let's <laughs> talk about this, Tech Dre. Netflix interactive new trivia game. Um, you can, you can play it through your, uh, console or wherever you have Netflix. You can basically use your remote or your controller if you're playing on the Xbox. Uh, but it's pretty cool. It's a, it's a totally interactive experience. It's a trivia game that you could do one or two players. Um, and you can basically go at it and see a quick round of questions who gets the more right answers to get the high score. Uh, I thought it was pretty cool, Tech Dre, and something interactive with Netflix. I like to, to see Netflix doing something like this, uh, experimental with their platform. Uh, I, I know I even saw something this week about them possibly doing streaming sports, 
which we can talk about in a second. But what do you what is your impressions about Trivia Verse? Uh, the little time you played it before we did the podcast. Um, the fact that it's only one or two players, it definitely isn't something that you can invite a bunch of friends over and sit around and watch. But I do think it's cool if you got a little time to kill. Say, for instance, you're watching a show, uh, a series, and uh, you know if you're watching it with somebody and they need to take a break in between an episode, they need to go uh, restroom break, go grab a snack, um, whatever, and they're going to take a few minutes or a little bit of a long break, and you're just trying to kill some time, you could do some trivia, answer some questions, and just play that and kill some time. Um or if it's just you and your wife or a friend or somebody sitting around and you just want to do something a little different in between watching something. I mean, it's, it's cool. It's a little bit of a, uh, an interactive way to kill some time. I mean, it doesn't hurt to have it on, uh, Netflix. I don't know how popular it's going to be. Uh, but I think people who try it will like it. Um, the only thing is I wish they made it a little more front facing. I wish you didn't have to go search for it to find it. And maybe um, that's something Netflix. Well, that's just a, that's a UI it, thing. I mean, they don't have a lot of interactive games on the platform. Tech well, and that's that well, may it, become it's, a it's category. A, in itself, it may you you're, you're you're simplifying and calling yeah. it a UI thing. But for me or you, it's nothing for us to go hit search and type in trivia verse. Sure, uh, sure. But for older people, people who just want to navigate the menus and UI, if you want them to play it, don't make them have to search it. Make well, it to where it's a little tab on the side. And, and let me just mention, I don't think I mentioned what the premise was. The goal is to beat in a certain score within a three-minute time frame. As you answer questions correctly, you build up a streak bonus to improve your score. As you progress further, the questions get harder. So it ramps up, Tech Dre. The more they kind of, I guess they adjust it, they can see, okay, you got that question right about Queen Cleopatra, so we're going to throw you a curveball. But the cool part, the best part about it, Tech Dre, is when you exit Netflix and come back, your progress is saved where you left off. So if you're sneaking in trivia rounds between work, uh, which uh, what some people are doing with this game or, you know, in between shows, like you said, bathroom breaks, if you're, you know, doing a, a binge and Netflix plays with somebody, uh, you can come right back to your game without losing progress. You can also play on your phone, computer or TV. I thought it was cool for what it is. I would love to see more stuff like this on Netflix. Um, I think it's a nice direction. It's something cool. I thought it was pretty cool. Um, and I think it's it's a nice direction for them to pivot in because I know they're talking about doing all these games and stuff. And you can have these casual distractions, right? You don't have to have hardcore games or all these indie games. Something like this is a refreshing change of pace for something. And I love trivia, trivia anyway, so... I thought it was cool for that reason, but trivia verse, uh, it gets, it gets a thumbs up from me tech. Right. What about you? Yeah, I think it's cool. But uh, once again, I'll say this, um, they need to work on the UI to make it easier to find. And yeah. I think it's going to be a lot popular if they do that. Now, I'm sorry, guys, we don't really have anything for yo Google this week. I didn't get a chance to get an article or something for Google. Maybe tech Dre has something to throw out there. Yo Google. But, um, uh, this is part of the, the segment, Tech Dre, of Stream Wars. I did want to mention there was an article, and I know I didn't put this in the show notes, so you can shoot me later. Uh, but <laughs> Netflix is now in talks of doing live uh, sports streaming. Um, and I saw some the people throw out there, there's some possibilities of them streaming surfing or some other obscure sports which don't really have a lot of support. And I thought about this, Tech Dre. I'm like, what would work 
on Netflix. And I was like, pickleball? No, not pickleball. But I thought maybe esports is a good platform because they have all these gaming anime shows and all these gaming properties now on Netflix that are popping up. Would esports do really good if live would live esports do good on Netflix as a platform? What do you think about that? Or what do you think what sport would be perfect? Because you know, we see Apple, you know, dabbling in baseball, they're trying to get the football contract, Amazon's doing football, all the streaming platforms is basically trying to get live sports, right? So, what do you think Netflix could go after realistically? What, what do you think they could do to separate themselves from the pack? Something different? Uh... To their I, platform. I, I would say basketball would be way too expensive. NBA on Netflix, yeah, that would be cool though. I wouldn't have a problem with it because I don't. It, want it'd to be cool, for- but it'd be it'd be too expensive. But I think hockey is probably what they <laughs> they could probably afford to go after the NHL on Netflix. I could, I mean, that would yep. be cool too. Um, I was thinking, I was thinking, honestly, esports or something like that, something that's not as mainstream as the big sports like baseball or football or basketball or hockey. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you could probably do extreme sports or something like that. Something like the, the winter games and stuff like that, where people are snowboarding or skiing or something like that. Of course that wouldn't interest me, but it has to be something to, to be affordable. Pie has to be something more niche, right? It has to be something that's not going to be a, hundred billion dollar contract to get the rights and license to right yeah I mean, so 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 there is one yo google thing we could talk about if you're if you're up for yo it. google yeah go for um it. the fact that uh google sent out emails to everyone this week that, that still has an active gmail account that stadia refunds should start coming out checks people in the mail start, checks in the should mail. start seeing refunds to the original payment source that they used uh, to purchase games or DLC uh, for Stadia. If you bought the Stadia controller and a Chromecast uh, from Google or from Stadia, they'll be refunding the money for that. Um, I'm saying also people who no longer have Gmail accounts. So if you deleted a Gmail account oh, associated with you know it, what you know what hold on, hold on, about hold on. Tech, I'm, right? I'm trying to I'm had... trying to no listen yeah, I'm ahead, not done ahead. this is going to answer something for you if you let me <laughs> yeah go for they it they said the people who no longer have Gmail accounts for the account they use for Stadia they're still going to try to refund the money to the original payment but how so. but how explain how if you're going to say that then tell yeah. me how I get my refund for my email address I, I can't explain I cannot explain no further than they explain. But that's what they said in the email that they I sent out. Explain, my explain. Well, I I'm gonna have to look into that. Tech. I'm gonna have to do a little research for the pod because I don't know what the deal is with that. Um, but I, I'm curious, Tech Ray, because the email address I originally had with Stadia when I purchased DLC for Destiny uh, back in the day, um, I don't have that account anymore. So I need to get whatever I paid for on, on Stadia. I need to be able to retrieve that. I don't even have access to that email address anymore. So I need to figure out um, how I can do that. I need to reach out to them on social media and figure out, yo, Google, how can I get that money? But, uh, you know, it is what it is. Um, I did want to mention this. So so here's the exact wording for that you were talking about. This is the email that they sent out for Stadia. It says, for Stadia players that have deleted their Gmail account, we will still attempt to automatically refund the How? transaction to the original form of payment. Oh, to your credit. Okay, okay. 
Well, then if I use my bank, then I guess it would go there. But if my card yeah. number has changed since then, which I don't think it has, I'm not sure if it's changed in the last two or three years. I don't actually think it has. But if it has changed, bye-bye uh, money. I ain't getting it back. But that would be cool if they did, because I, I think I spent probably $100 or less. Unless, unless you probably. closed out a debit card because of worried about people fraudulently trying to charge you your card. Normally your bank sends you out a new card with the same number, just updated expiration right, and right. three digit security code. So, well, I would love to see them give me some money. Uh, cause I am very poor and I will take Google any money you guys want to give me. Um, I did like stadia. It was a great platform. RIP to stadia tech Dre, but, um, I would love to take whatever they want to give me. I, I am more than happy to take their money <laughs> and run with it. Um, so Sega Genesis Mini 2. CNET was talking about this tech, Dre. The latest, latest Sega recreation of the collector's items shows off many consoles making a comeback. Don't call it a comeback, tech, Dre. The Sega Genesis Mini is worth your time. They're saying that this thing is pretty cool. Uh, remember back a few years back, we had the you know Mini Nintendo, the Mini NES, and we had some other mini consoles that came out. What do you think about this? Do you think this is something with all retro gaming beating all the rage these days? Is this something you're interested in or even care about right now? So there was a Sega Genesis Mini that came out uh, some years back. I don't know how long ago it's been now. It could have been four or five well, this years is the ago. Mini too, they're talking about the Mini. I'm, I'm just let me let me get to that. I bought the Mini that came out four or five years ago. Okay. And what I like about it, which is also what I'm seeing with the new Mini 2, the new Mini 2 looks like the updated version of the Genesis, whereas the Sega Genesis Mini looks like the original version of the Sega Genesis. What I like about those retro consoles is that not only are they miniature consoles like the NES uh, retro or classic edition and the Super NES where they're small and they have games loaded on it. But what I really liked about the Genesis one is that you could actually take Genesis cartridges and put it in there and play them. You can't do that on oh, the wow. uh, Nintendo Classic that is Editions. Really cool. that so is if you cool. got some actual old Genesis cartridges, you can actually plug them in here and play them, which to me, that would have been, that would have made the Super NES Classic Edition a, a super must-have had you been able to take Super Nintendo cartridges and plug it into the Super NES Classic Edition. Yeah, it, it's cool. They're saying this one has a much better game selection than the original one. I don't know what was on the first one. I never played the first one. Uh, but they're saying this is definitely worth your time if you're into, you know, retro gaming. It's a lot of cool games on there um, that you can, you know, it's worth your time. They're saying uh and they're they're co it costs a hundred dollars or less so it's not super expensive uh in a world of next gen gaming and expensive tech tech ray this is like an outlier from this is like a dinosaur from the past a nice reminder of retro gaming as far as nostalgia uh back from a, a lost age of gaming that we don't have anymore but let me say this much i think it's worth um a hundred bucks for two reasons. Okay. Number one, the catalog. There's of 60 games, games on there, by the way. 60 the games. Catalog, the catalog of games that comes on of it, to me, is a pretty big deal. Um, 
the fact that it's HDMI, it, it hooks up to yeah. a high definition TV. You ain't got to have some weird adapter or nothing. It comes with an HDMI cable and the fact that you can put Genesis cartridges in it. To me, that's, that's just a big deal. So that's a, that's a deal maker for you. The fact that it's taking cartridges and you can, you know, that that's the biggest thing for you, I guess. Right. It's always a big deal when you can play literal retro games. You can plug them in there and play them. You know, it's funny we brought this up because I didn't even think about this tech, Dre, but I saw Scuttlebutt that the last Nintendo Direct, they talked about the, the Nintendo Switch, the next Nintendo Switch, right? The Switch Pro, whatever you want to call it, Nintendo Switch 2. Uh, and there's been some Scuttlebutt on YouTube and out there on the interwebs that Nintendo may or may not make the new switch compatible or backwards compatible, basically. And my personal opinion is as big as the switch was, you don't want to separate the, uh, the love that the switch got and the fact that it sold over a hundred million consoles by making the next console, not compatible with the switch live switch library is so good. Anyway, tech, right? So many Mario Kart, all these great games, you know, Mario Odyssey, all these fantastic games. Do you really want to make the next console not backwards compatible and just ignore all the goodwill you've made the last five or six years with the Switch? And I think that that would be, even if you want to make this thing more powerful, if you want to make it on par with the PS4, which to me at this point, you got to be PS4 powerful or more, right? At this point. Um, so what do you think about them not making it backwards compatible? You think that's a good idea? Because I mean, the Wii U wasn't no, compatible with no. the Wii. I don't think it no, was. No, not at all. It's not a good. It's not a good look, because Nintendo has been notoriously known for when they move from one console to the next, they recharge it. You got to pay again for retro games that you've already bought on two other consoles. Um, just like if you bought retro games on the nintendo wii i think you were able to get those some of those on the wii u but that didn't transfer over to the switch then with the switch you're able to buy some retro games but then they turned it into the whole online thing where we're going to bring it to online then now we're going to make extra tiers for games and you really don't own the games they're just available as long as you have switch online so the masters are doing that kind of stuff too right reselling Relabeling not to mention, not to mention reselling. all the, not to mention just between the the classic games, but all the Switch games, right? Like right. you know, uh, all the games you've purchased on the Switch digitally, not just on the actual Switch game cartridges, but digitally. Um, you know, if they said, okay, we're not going to support Switch game cartridges, I think that'd be bogus because Nintendo over the years has supported Game Boy cartridges through several generations of Game Boys. So I don't see why they couldn't keep support for physical Switch games, but let's just say they didn't keep support for physical Switch games. At the very minimum, you got to keep support for the digital games that people have purchased and bought. To me, it's a huge disservice. What you're doing is, is you're making people choose between keeping their old console. Why can't they just get rid of their old console, move on to the new I one. I think and take that's their the games biggest mistake them. they made between the Wii and the Wii U. I think that they made it very confusing and they kind of abandoned. Uh, but And I'm trying to think was the Wii games, the Wii games were compatible with the Wii U, right? They did make them, did they make some of the games backwards compatible? It seemed like they made some of them, maybe not all of them backwards compatible. It seemed like yeah, some you of them play, were. You, you can play Wii games on the Wii U. 
Yeah, but we but the Wii U was such a departure from what the Wii was, though. I mean, it did have motion controls, it did have some of the same things, but let's just be honest, it was a very confusing branding. So to me at this point, call well, the sucker Nintendo Switch Pro and keep it moving and make everything from the Switch compatible with the new console or new portable. Exactly. If you make just it, you make it better games, if you make it uh Nintendo games. or call it the Nintendo Switch 2, whatever you do. Do not call it something like you did the Wii U. Make it to where people know this is not the same console, but say, hey, you can play all your old games, but there's new games coming out that are not going to play on the Switch. Don't call it the Nintendo S tier and be like, okay, this is the best Nintendo. We're going to call it the Nintendo S tier and completely rebrand the thing because you've already caught lightning in a bottle twice with the Wii and with the Switch, and I just think you have to you have to push that forward. You have to take what you all do, be Nintendo, stay in Nintendo. The problem lane. with Nintendo is a lot, you know, they always, every console they come out with, right. they want to reinvent the wheel. We got to do something totally we different well, they, than they, we did they, last they, generation. They pride themselves on gimmicks, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, emotion controls or motion this and that. They Instead of them being cutting edge on technology, they want to innovate in other ways, right? Uh, and and I think that's what Nintendo's done since what the sixty. I think the last powerful console they made was the GameCube, and ever since then, instead of them being top of the line as far as tech or power, they now want to be cutting edge with innovation, with motion controls, with gimmicky things like that. And honestly, they have such good games; they don't well, really unlike, need to be unlike Sony and Microsoft, who take losses on their consoles because they push cutting edge tech. Nintendo does not want to take a loss from day one. They want to make money on their consoles from day right, one. Right. And, you know, that's fine, but they can still. Here's the other thing that, that Nintendo kind of alluded to when the Switch came out. So the Switch was more powerful when it was docked. The dock had some stuff that allowed the Switch to be a little more powerful and push out and a little more GPU power for when it's hooked up to a TV. Well, everybody thought, okay, they're going to come out with a more powerful switch dock down the road at some point where you're going to be able to push the fidelity of some games to a higher level or something when docked to a TV never happened. (laughs) So, um, you know, Nintendo, I think the best thing that could happen for Nintendo is for a steep decline in Switch sales for people not only to stop well, buying Switches. I think Switches, it is starting to level off. I think the Switch it is starting to level off. Fell off a cliff. It a is bit. starting to level off, but the best thing that happened in t- to Nintendo was the Wii U. It sold so horribly that Nintendo knew they had to they had to come yeah. correct when they came with the Switch, and they, yeah, they did. They had to go back to the drawing board. They definitely did. They had to go back to the drawing board, but. I feel like this, they need to do the same thing with the next generation console. And let me say this, this is why they need to support backwards compatibility. Don't come with a bunch of remasters of games on the next iteration of the switch. Don't bring remasters of switch games to the next console. Come out with new games, totally new games, but support the old ones. The ones that people already own, give them some value in what they already own. So they can wait for the next iteration of whatever game to come out. Well, here's but the I thing. Think, How does the PlayStation 4 take 10 years now? I mean, and as of next year, that technology is 10 years old, right? So couldn't they put basically PS4-like tech, that graphical tech, 
into the next Switch and make it as powerful as a PS4, which would still be pretty good for handheld hybrid uh, console. Couldn't they just do that, Tech Dre, and move it forward with, I mean, still be pretty powerful. I mean, so to be, be honest with you, PS5 and Xbox. So to be honest with you, the Switch, the Switch is almost as powerful as the original PS4, the OG PS4, and almost as powerful as the OG Xbox One. It actually is almost as powerful. So as maybe those they systems. need to they need to shoot for PS4 Pro power then maybe. Exactly. Xbox One X, PS4 Pro Power, and a and a handheld package like that, that would be awesome. And it's possible. Um, and I think, you know, obviously they're not gonna keep up with some of the triple A games that um you know people want to see. Um but even if they pushed, you know, Xbox Series S type power, maybe not CPU, the same power as a CPU, but GPU wise for a handheld, that would be awesome. Yeah. yeah. And the then and then lag. make up and then <laughs> and make drag. up the difference. Hold on. And then make up the difference with a a eGPU. An eGPU is an external GPU. Make up the difference for docking. So make it make it have you know PS4 Pro. Uh, type you know power when it's handheld but when you dock it you know maybe come with like a normal dock just to dock it to a tv but also down the road sell a upgraded dock or more powerful external docking system that will take it to the next level for certain games like you know here's the thing on a little uh you know 1080p screen or 720 handheld everything is going to look pretty good at that size but when you hook it to a 65 inch TV, it's a whole different ball of wax. They need to come out with something that's going to push uh, those games to a different level when docked and connected to a TV. And it's possible. And Nintendo has always been known for selling peripherals. Well, here's another peripheral you can come out with, sell, and make money. Yeah, I like your take, right? I like your take on that. I agree with you. I think that's the route they need to go, and uh, they got to make that sucker back- backwards compatible. They've got to make it more powerful to compete with the next gen consoles. You know, we're kind of going down a, a rabbit hole, but I was going to mention something else. Yeah, the uh, the Mario movie is going to be coming out. It's all yeah. CGI or whatever. Uh, Miyamoto just said something about uh, he feels like this Mario movie has finally solved the issue. Of video games being created, turned. I saw movies. that. I saw he made that comment, and he must really have a lot of faith in what the studio, uh, the Dit Minions. I can't figure what they remember what they're called right now. What is it? Uh, Illumination or Illumination? Something? Yeah, he must really have faith that they can really make this like their Sonic, right? Because Sonic has done so well. well obviously, Mario oh. is his creation, so he's probably right. hand in hand with them making that movie. Oh, he's probably if seen he, a rough cut of the film already. If I'm he sure if he feels it. that way, that's that's actually kind of exciting. If it, if he feels yeah. it's that good, you know. I mean, the the 10-year-old me and me is excited to see it. I'm actually low-key excited about seeing that next year. And uh, it's going to be cool to see, I mean, how they adapt um, that video game world into a film. Uh, I still not completely saw Chris Pratt as Mario, but, hey, that's Chris that's Pratt. a story for me. Star-Lord. It's a me, Chris pratt yo. But uh, just real quick, Tech Dre, before we get out of here, we have not talked about the Steam Deck recently. You know, I got a Steam Deck last in the last month or so, and I also got the Logitech G recently, and I've had a chance to play with both of them. Um, you know, pretty pretty good 
uh, amount of time on both consoles. And let me just say right now, the Steam Deck is the most powerful, best portable gaming system out right now as far as power, as far as what it can do graphically and how beautiful that screen is. But I'm going to tell you something, Tech Dre, with the Logitech G, it's not as big. And I'm looking at them both side by side right now. I know you can't see what I'm looking at, but it's not as big. But the fact that the controller uh, setup, you know, layout is like the Xbox controller, the offset analogs, and the fact that it's smaller, it's much more com- comfortable form fitting for my hands. When I play that Steam Deck Tech Dre, I immediately start getting carpal tunnel and cramps. It's just to me, it's just too big. It's too gaudy. It's too big. You know, it's a great I, console. Don't get me wrong, but I'd rather funny. play that sucker docked than play it in my hands because of that reason. Well, here's the thing. I know you got pretty big hands, but I have really big hands, and the Steam Deck feels really good in my hands. Well, and you got a chance to sample the Logitech G last time and we I were over here. I didn't, and I didn't feel like the Logitech G felt better in my hands than the Steam Deck. The Steam well, Deck, it's, it's you completely what, subjective. When you look at it, is when but you what did you think Steam about? Deck, what was your impression about it playing a little bit of Xbox X Cloud on there? What was your impression just a little bit of time you played on it? surprisingly it did play pretty smooth when i played I thought but, it did. but we were in a stable environment with stable wi-fi yeah and my biggest gripe That's about that my biggest gripe is it is a cloud-based gaming <laughs> console that is reliant on a stable internet connection and well, that's um, the caveat that is the downside you know, typically sure. handheld devices like that uh people get them because they travel and that's where I feel like there's a disconnect because if you're going to be traveling and playing games, how are you going to maintain a stable connection? Whereas um, Razer is coming out with a, uh, a cloud-based console uh, that's going to have 5G and Wi-Fi. So, and I, and I'm and the verdicts out on that 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 device on paper sounds good. It may not be as good as it sounds on paper. So. Um, if they I'm made, gonna, I'm I'm just saying, Tech Dre. If they made a Logitech version <clears throat> of the Steam Deck, like a full console, not a streaming device, like this thing is, I think I'd be a day one adopter. This thing is that comfortable in my hands, and uh, while it's while it's not the, you know, tech specimen that the Steam Deck is, I love it. I love the form factor way better on this. Well, you I, have to remember. I, I love too, the comfort of this in my hands much better. I love that the is a that is that's going to be a sleeker, smaller device because yeah. it's not a PC. But it's bigger than the Switch, though. Let's just be honest. The, it's bigger. The, it's not as Steam big as the Steam Deck, Deck, but it's bigger than the Switch. The Steam Deck is a gaming PC in a handheld form, so it's it's right. gonna has to be bigger. Um, <laughs> but I think it's, it's almost uncomfortably big at this point. Like I don't think that it's it's not comfortable. It's not practical. Personally, uh, for me, in my it's not. Opinion. Personally, for me, it's not uncomfortably big. It looks big, but when you, for me, when I put it in my hands and I start playing it, number one, the screen is big. I love the size of the screen. It's you're not squinting like you're on a on a switch or even a Logitech G. I feel like it's smaller. Um, the other thing is with the Steam Deck is is there are games right on the device. I don't need internet. Unless it's a multiplayer online game, if it's a one-player game with a campaign, I don't need to stream anything. It's self-contained, and that is a very big deal for me. 
No, I, I I can't deny that. The 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 fact that Steam is a uh, Steam Deck is a very powerful. You want to play device. the latest. You want to play the latest play stuff na- natively is a big. You want to play the, You want to play the latest AAA games on the go. This is Steam Deck. You're not going to do that on the Switch. You're not going to do that on the Logitech G. Uh, or you might do it on a Logitech G, but you're going to have to have an internet connection. Right. So. And I'm playing it right now. I'm playing an indie game on here, and it's super responsive, man. It, it feels like playing on my Xbox. And, um, you know, I wish they had sports games. I wish that it played games natively. Obviously, I don't like the fact that it's a streaming device. I would much more prefer that this is a actual native game system with the games locally on there. But. I mean, for what it is, man, it's it's cool, man. It's like I mean, honestly, it's like Stadia in your hands. I would <laughs> love to see a company like Microsoft or even Sony if they came out with another uh, PlayStation Portable. I would love to see one of them companies come out with a handheld. Well, I think Sony is powerful. never going to dip hold back on, into hold the on, portable let market, me, though. That's fine if they do or don't. But let me get make my point. The point I'm making is. One of those companies needs to come out with a handheld as powerful as last generation consoles to where you can play last generation games on the go, but have the ability to tap into either remote play or stream current gen games to that device. Right, right. If either one of them, Microsoft or Sony, came out with a device like that, I think it would sell like hotcakes. I think there's no question people would buy it in droves. Well, I think during the pandemic, the market for, uh, you know, that type of gaming, portable gaming was at an all time high. Now the pandemic is kind of cooling off and things are kind of. Actually, I disagree. I think home gaming was at an all time high during the pandemic because people were at home. But now people are on the go and on the move again. I feel like the portable console uh, would be a bigger deal now because people are not home. They're traveling. They're going on vacation. They're getting on what, planes. What, what did we talk they're, about earlier? Wi-Fi seven. Any, we need Wi-Fi seven for for this to pick up. We need Wi-Fi seven like everywhere, like tomorrow, uh, which I know is but, not going to happen. But, but the point did, I'm getting to: people are moving around and traveling. People are taking car trips. People are getting on the plane, um, and. If you're on a business trip or something, you a handheld device uh, that's portable is the way to go. If you're, right. um, you, you know, people are not at home like they were during the pandemic. That's why I said I, I feel the opposite. I feel like home console, PC gaming consoles was at an all-time high during the pandemic. Because if you remember, uh, right before the pandemic, right around December <clears throat> of 2019, you bought an Xbox One X. Okay. Microsoft had discounted it pretty much. Uh, I think it was down to about 300 or something. I think yeah. you paid for it. You got yeah. a game and an extra controller with it. Yep. And that was amazing because when that system came out, it was $500 without an extra game. Well, and they were getting really controller. close to releasing the Series X at that point. I think it was... Um, they hadn't even, they hadn't even, I don't think they, I'm not even sure. But I think it was a year or less before the S, before the Series X came out. It was either the year It was almost a whole year. But anyways, well, it was like 2019, something like that. Okay. Let me get back to the point I'm making because you love to cut people off. The point I'm making is, is that you could find those consoles anywhere and you were getting them at a discounted rate and they were throwing in extra stuff with it. When the pandemic happened. 
you couldn't find a game console anywhere and they had shot back up to their original MSRP. And there was no extra controller or games put in. And people were hocking and selling them things for way higher than MSRP during the pandemic. That's how hot home gaming consoles had become. When the new consoles came out, the PS5 and Xbox Series consoles, people were still selling last-gen consoles at a premium. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, even the beginning of the pandemic, consoles were going, I mean, even old retro consoles were going for an insane amount of money for a while. That's my so, And that's my point about consoles. You bought a 1X right before the pandemic at a steeply discounted rate and with a game and extra controller right. after the pandemic happened, you couldn't find one even for retail, normal retail price. Yeah. No, you're right. You're right. You're right. Well, hey, that's all we got this week, guys, for the Tech Podcast. Uh, it's me and Tech Dre this week. If you guys have any questions or right. comments or things you guys want us to cover, Tech Dre, uh, you had something to say? I was just saying you were snar. Snar. Uh, if you guys want to give questions yeah. for the podcast or feedback, our email address is snarftech at pm.me. We're also snarftech uh, at snarftech on uh, Instagram and Twitter. And um, hey, guys, I just want to say thanks for listening to the podcast and uh, listening. We had a really fun show last week and a fun show this week. And uh, before we get out of here, Tech Dre, you got any comments, shout outs, anything you want to say to the listeners before we uh, sign off? Uh, sure. I'll, I'll give some shout outs, uh, shout out to, uh, you know, uh, we've had a lot of people who listen to the podcast in the past. I know you mentioned Mike, uh, Mikey had, uh, listened to the last podcast, hadn't listened to, um, any of our episodes in a long time. He said he really enjoyed it. So shout out to him, Mike Taylor for, for checking it out. We know AK 47, big E Arion. Um, you know, a lot of our friends have been checking it out and just, uh, we know we've been getting people who we don't know who they are checking it out. So a shout out to pretty much anybody who's given Snarf Tech a listen. Um, we have fun doing it, talking about tech. Sometimes we, uh, go down rabbit holes and jump off into other things and maybe veer off and talk about games like we just finished up doing. But these are things we're pretty passionate about and love to, uh, spend time doing so we talk about them we love tech we love uh to see what companies are doing with phones and tablets and computers and uh the gaming tech um it's all very interesting we grew up playing with this stuff and use it all the time and just kind of have been lifelong followers of the, these things and and playing around with them so once again huge shout out to the following uh the people who have been listening thank you yes couldn't have said it better myself, Tech Dre. So everybody have a great week. Go enjoy your favorite tech. Star Tech out, guys. Peace. Snarf. <laughs>